This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. For many years, I felt like my ministry was similar to a Caltrans man. You ever seen a Caltrans guy in the orange truck and the orange vest and all the orange, all the orange, orange, eating an orange with an orange flag? And my job, it seems like in the body of Christ, is to wave the flag and say, hey, the bridge is out ahead. While I get ignored, yelled at, told off by Christians who want to keep going the way they're going, even though the bridge is out ahead and you're going to crash and die if you keep doing it that way. So I'm going to keep being, I'm just going to keep with my Caltrans assignment. Is that all right with you tonight? Amen. Can I tell you a quick story that you won't like? You sure? I mean, if you're not going to, because it's not the story you won't like. I'm concerned you won't like me after I tell the story. Can you handle it, though? You're not going to try to throw me off a cliff before I leave town or anything? I'm, lo- I'm looking at some of you, though, just to, just to verify. No cliffs anywhere? Okay, well, I'm, I'm probably good then. All right. I was attending uh, one of my brother-in-law's funerals. They've all had one at this point in my life. And I was attending one of them. And uh, this particular brother-in-law was not a good man. And, uh, I mean, I do enough funerals to know that you, you, you just don't t- cover the stuff you don't need to cover. You know, but you also don't lie. I'm not going to stand up there and lie about what a great person you are when you were not a great person. When you're a drunk and you're shacking out with somebody other than my sister, then I didn't really want to sit through him telling his stories about what a great guy he was, what a great father and a great man. And, you know, dude was a drunk. Half the time wouldn't bring enough food home. Let my sister raise the kids alone, all that kind of stuff. You know, am I being too straight with you? Because I'll switch over to the three. <coughs> I got choked up just trying to lie to you about three steps to an easy Cadillac. I don't even know that sermon. I keep offering it as an option, though I don't know what it is. Um, but that didn't, that bugged me, but it was like, whatever. Say what you need to say. You want to pretend like you're a professional preacher doing a funeral, so just do your little part. But then he got into something, and I couldn't hang with that. I, I Believe it or not, I can bite my lip pretty good and just let life go by, and I don't have to deal with everybody and everybody's issues and stuff. But when you insult Jesus Christ, well, now, maybe, maybe we should have a talk. So he stood up there and he talked about this good man and that he was now in heaven. I had never seen any fruit that he was making heaven. Maybe he got born again just at the last second. I don't know. I sure tried for, you know, decades. But I don't know of any fruit that he was born again. That didn't even bother me because it's too late for the gentleman we're having the funeral for. It was when he told all the sinners sitting in this congregation of people who came 
to this funeral that we're all going to heaven anyway someday. And God is, you know, is all of our fathers. And, it, you know, he just kept going on and on. Now, if I told you the denomination of this pastor, you would go, what? He, he said, what? So, here's what I did. Here's what I did. I didn't say a thing in the, in the service. It's not, it wasn't my service to say a thing to or say th- something in. And nor was I asked. To, is it still okay for me to lean against this? Because it, it seems like a good place to lean. Okay. <laughs> all right. What was that telling the story about now? You messed it all up, David. Okay. All right. So I, I said nothing during the service, but after the service, once the sanctuary clears out, you know, I go meet with this pastor privately. I pull him aside. I said, now listen. I know the upbringing you've had in ministry because my mom got born again in your church denomination. I was, you know, partially raised as a child in that denomination, and I know you know better than half the stuff you just said. I said, you lied to those people. You did not tell them they had to be born again to make heaven. You did not tell them that they were going to die in their sins. You instead, you didn't even offer them an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Instead, you just left them with the false hope that they can live any way they want to live and everybody's going to heaven anyway. I said, so I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. See, this is the part I'm not sure you're going to like me. So I'm going to tell you what you are going to do. When we get out to that graveside and we do the graveside funeral, you, sir, are going to tell people how to be born again, that they must be born again. And if they're not born again, they're not going to make heaven. And if you don't, you're going to have me to meet with after the the graveside service. I'm going to tell you what, that little preacher got to stuttering and stammering. And he got up at that graveside service and he told people how to... I mean, I was proud of him. All of a sudden, he grew a backbone. I thought, oh my goodness. Look at this man, 40-something years old, finally grown a backbone. To stand up and do the honorable thing and teach people what the Bible actually says. And after he led, you know, led people in the sinner's prayer, he looked at me and I nodded. I gave him the approved. Good job, little man. Good job, little man. You finally made your preacher stripes. Because if you can't stand up and tell people what the Bible actually says without running in fear and being a coward, then you shouldn't be in the pulpit at all. Somebody say amen now. that tell anybody where we're going tonight? It means I'm going to be a straight shooter with you. How many like Psalm 91? Does anybody even know what Psalm 91 is? Raise your hand if you like Psalm 91. Turn to Psalm 91 with me for a minute. Woo-wee! Pastor Kenny Gatlin is a nice preacher. He just sometimes has to pause and tell us, Fix that in your life right now. Bridge is out ahead. Listen, if your whole family was in a car and would have died if I had not flagged you down, you're telling me you're not happy I flagged you down? Psalm 91. Anybody have any idea? Don't, don't, don't all preach at me at once. Psalm 91. Tell me what that's about. Safety and protection. It is? It sure is. 
Man, it's about angels and deliverance and sickness and plague can't come near your house. Who doesn't want that? Let's, let's just read, let's just read it real quick. Can we do that? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day. I mean, whatever's coming day or night, it doesn't bother you because you know you're protected. Isn't that good? Six, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall by thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near you. Say me. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall... Let's skip this verse, because that... I don't know if I want you to know that. You want to just skip this verse or go ahead and read it? Oh, you want to to read it? Okay. Ten. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread under the li- uh, tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him, and I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him and with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Isn't that a powerful psalm? Don't you get excited when you read it? And most Christians don't even qualify. I said most Christians don't even qualify. We get excited and shout, Woo, angels! No evil going to befall me. We'll qualify for it then. One of the things you need to know about living for Jesus is that the things of God are not automatic. You see, this, this guy at the funeral was proclaiming everything's automatic. You just live and die and go to heaven. But it's not that automatic. You've got to commit your life to Jesus Christ and become born again to make heaven as your home. In the same way, there's some requirements that are involved if you would like to walk in divine protection in the last days. I believe in divine protection. I even wrote a book about divine protection. I could spend the entire night into the wee hours of the morning just telling you my own testimonies of God's divine protection over my life, my family's life, and those I've pastored, the uh, testimonies that they have in their lives. But what I've learned about Psalm 91 is most people blow past verse 1. Just so excited about verses 2 through 16. That they write off what's in verse 1 as though, well, that's not important. 
But it's vitally important if you want to live in protection. We live in the last of the last days. You want these verses working for you. You want no evil coming near your house. You want that. I mean, any demon, any bad person inspired by demons is going to keep moving past your house. Instead of being drawn by it, they're going to be repelled. Ooh, 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 I don't want to go in here. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going there. You want that. Every sickness, every disease that wants to knock on your door is really, nah, nah, I'm going to go on down the street to this other guy. Because you live, verse 1. Read verse 1 with me. One, two, three. He that does what? Dwell, that Pause. Dwell. Dwell is where you live. See, that's what I was teaching you today. This is not Jesus Christ visiting ours. We dwell with God. We dwell in the secret place with God. We live for God. I'm trying to teach you why so many Christians aren't walking in the blessings. Because as a pastor, one of the things I deal with all the time is the why, 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 why. How come the Bible says, but that's not working for me? And every time I get the question, I realize they're not dealing with the actual reason why it's not working. They know the promised part. They don't know the prerequisite part. For example, if you want the windows of heaven opened above your life and God pouring out blessings on you that there's not even room enough to receive, you have to first be a tither and a giver of offerings. So when you're trying to proclaim the windows of heaven are opened over my life, and you're not a tither and a giver, they're not. Well, by the same token, if you are just visiting the Lord when you need Him, instead of dwelling in the secret place, then you're not going to experience the manifestation in your life and in your family of these other verses. Though they are for you right now. The only thing holding it back from happening is your involvement in verse 1. Y'all with me now? He that dwelleth in the what? Secret place. When I began to study this out, I discovered that the, the word place isn't actually the word place. It's condition. In this secret condition. You're supposed to be dwelling in a certain type of condition all the time. And that condition is righteous, holy living. That's what it means. It means if I would live right, if I would... I mean, this is who I am. This is not what I do on Sundays. If I would simply live right, live according to the Scripture, then verses 2 through 16 become something I can claim as my own and declare this is what is going to happen in my life. But if I'm ignoring verse 1, blowing past verse 1, I'm not going to get it. It's not going to work for you. So I want divine protection. How many of you want divine protection? Now, isn't it, it, now is that good? Did you, did you get something out of that part? Because it's not even my message. But I'm trying to show you, things aren't automatic. Though the Bible is filled with promises, you have a part, God has a part. And most of the time, we want God to do His part without us ever doing our part at all. Are you listening? The Bible says, for example, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. But a lot of people say, I don't feel God. I just don't feel close to God at all. Then what happened to you? You draw near and he'll draw near. 
you make the move. You draw near. He draws near. I just don't feel close to God right now. Why are you testifying like that? You're telling everybody you're, you're, you're sliding backwards. You're the one moved. You heard the story about the couple, the older couple that went out to eat. And right as they're pulling in, there's a real young couple, you know, in their early 20s. And you know, you know what it's like when you're in your early 20s and you're in love and all that. You're hanging all over each other. The older couple, they go in and take a seat. They're sitting on different sides of the booth. The younger couple, they sit beside each other on the same side of the booth. And, uh, so they got, they, they got served about the same time. So the older couple's sitting there, they're eating their dinner. Not as much conversation. The young couple, they're kind of giggling and sharing each other's food. Try this, take a bite of this, all that stuff. And, uh, as it turns out, they leave almost the same time. Older couple gets in their car, younger couple gets in their car. The younger couple, though, the young wife is nearly sitting on the husband's lap while he's trying to drive. And so the older couple, the, the wife says, Honey, did you notice that young couple in the restaurant? And then when they came out and got in the car and how they just giggled and laughed and held on to each other. And then when they got in the car, she's practically sitting on his lap. He said, Yeah, I did. I noticed that. She said, do you remember when we were that way? He said, yeah. She said, then what's happened to us? And he said, well, I haven't moved. You don't get the joke. He, he's still driving. He's, he, she's sitting over there. Do If I've got to explain jokes to you people tonight... I haven't moved. That's what God's saying. I haven't moved. I don't feel close to God. Well, then who moved? Draw near to God. He that dwells in the secret place. Go to Psalm 112. Woo! Trying to help somebody tonight before they throw me out of town. Psalm 112. Psalm 112 is a psalm filled with promises of blessing in absolutely every aspect of your life. But exactly like Psalm 91, it begins, it begins with a requirement on your part and mine. So tell me when you're at Psalm 112, you didn't have too far to go. Are you there? Verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Say that part with me out loud. Praise ye the Lord. One more time. Praise ye the Lord. Do you do any praising in your life or just wait until church? I'll tell you right now, we'll have a lot more outpourings of the Spirit of God in our services if you're a praiser and a worshiper before you get to church. If it's part of your daily life that you love Jesus and worship Jesus and praise Jesus... Man, as soon as we start the service and we start worshiping and praising God, it's like you'll just walk right through the door. You won't have to try to get up to the door. I haven't praised Him since last Sunday. Say it again. Praise ye the Lord. One more time. Blessed. I want that. I won't be that guy. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. 
that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed or his offspring shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. We'll read the rest in a minute. But I want to deal with verse 1 for a little bit. Because I deal with people all the time, all over the country, who always ask, how come the Bible says this and I don't get any of it? It's a good question. It's a good question. I think it's because they don't, they don't see the prerequisites in the passages. They don't realize they have a part to play. There is always, I'm going to say this and again, because I want you to really know this. You might want to even write it down or put it in the column of your Bible. There is always a Godward side and a manward side to everything. If you're going to get born again, Jesus Christ did the Godward side, but you have to do the manward side and receive Jesus. You want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost? There's a, there's a Godward side of it. There's a manward side of it. You want to receive healing in your body? Jesus Christ has paid the price. He's done the Godward side, but there's a manward side. You've got to get your faith hooked up to this. According to your faith, be it unto you, and so on. So every aspect of our life and our walk with Christ, there's a Godward side and a manward side. So all these blessings are ours, but read verse 1 again. Praise you the Lord. Then it says, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. I don't think many Christians walk in the fear of the Lord like they once did. I don't even know if they know what it is. How many want to know what the fear of the Lord is so you'll know whether you're doing it or not? I mean, I mean, it's, it's pretty important if you want your kids to turn out right, you want your needs met, and on and on. It would be pretty important that you know what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. We'll write this down. It means you love what He loves and you hate what He hates. Can you understand that? You love what He loves, you hate what He hates. Jot it down. The fear of the Lord means that I love what Jesus loves, I hate what Jesus hates. Most Christians don't do that. They hate what He loves. Or they love what He hates. I don't want to worship the Lord. I don't feel like lifting my hands. Remember the rule. I gave it this morning. The quieter you get, the longer I preach. It's up to you. It's really up to you. If you want to fix your amen or you can get out of here at a decent hour. The fear of the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. It's a sad thing today to see how many people do things that the Bible even goes on so far as to say is an abomination to God. And they act like it's no big deal. But they still want all the blessings and the healing and the deliverance and the breakthroughs and the protection. But we're not walking in the fear of the Lord like we once did. Oh, man, I remember growing up in church. They just didn't. I mean, you're, you, you, you as a child, man, I'm telling you, they had their eye on you. I was not born with big ears. I got big ears from my mom pulling on my ear and telling me to sit down, sit still, shut up right now. I mean, if the Holy Ghost was moving, you froze in place. You didn't move. You didn't talk. You didn't text somebody and pass notes. Nowadays, right in the middle of church, we got people Facebooking, Instagramming. And God is speaking in the middle of the service. 
God's moving by His Spirit. The Word of God is going forth. And we're checking sports scores. I wish you were enthusiastic about my message. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. Look at this now. That delighteth, what? Greatly in his commandments. That delighteth greatly in his commandments. (laughs) The word delight means to have vehement pleasure, but it means more than that. The word delight means to be soft and pliable. I want you to know that because it's going to come in handy on the information side in just a moment. The word delight, write it down, it means to be soft and pliable. Picture yourself as Gumby. Maybe you don't even know, you're too young to know who Gumby is. But you just, well, you bend, man. The Word of God says do this, you bend and do that. The Word of God says don't do that, mm, stop doing that. You're soft and pliable where the Word of God is concerned. And then it says you are willing to bend. Say that. Willing to bend. In other words, you yield to the Word of God. Now, uh, this is not a teaching on tithes and offerings, but I want to give you an, an example so you understand something. They say that the statistics right now are that less than 6% of the body of Christ tithes. Less than 6%. Though, listen, though most churches deal with tithes and offerings every single service and will present Bible verses accordingly. So what does that tell you about 94% of the people? They were not soft and pliable and willing to bend. They stayed stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and I'm not going to do it. I, I'm not, we're not receiving another offering, folks. Let me teach you something about the Bible. Because if you'll listen to me, I'll show you how to live in divine protection and walk in the blessing of God for your life if you just make some adjustments and say, okay, if that's what God said, that's what I'm doing. He said, read my Bible, I'm reading it. He said, show up to church, I show up to church. He said, pray, I pray. He said, forgive people. You ever forgave somebody, some knucklehead? You ever had to deal with a knucklehead? I might be the only person on the planet that's ever had to deal with a genuine knucklehead. No, everybody has But he said, walk in love and forgive them. So what did I do? I was willing to bend. I stayed soft and pliable and said, yes, sir. My dad died when I was 17. He was a, uh, he was a heavy smoker. And, uh, when I was 17 years old, I had, you know, I don't, I don't understand everything about life or met, you know, most 17 year olds think they do, but I knew I didn't understand stuff and, I'm in the situation where uh, my dad is breathing his last. I mean, he's, uh, I, I don't want to get graphic here, but if you've ever had to sit with somebody as they are about to leave the planet, it's a different situation. And, they, you know, just the way he was gasping for air. And, and we're in a hospital. And um, the doctor was in there and a nurse. And uh, my mom and sisters were outside and they were crying outside in the hall. And I think there was another preacher in the room. But I'm sitting there, I'm holding my, I'm the youngest in the family. You know, I'm the only boy. And I'm holding my dad by the hand. And I'm watching his breathing side. Now, let me pause and give you good news. I led him to, this is Friday afternoon, almost 1 o'clock, because he died at 1 something in the afternoon. Wednesday night, just before he went into a coma, I led him to Jesus Christ and he prayed the sinner's prayer with me. 
So I don't have any question about where where he went. But I'm holding his hand, and I'm praying out loud, and I'm praying for him. But he starts to to breathe in, kind of deep, and then it seems like it lasts forever before he exhales. Then it seemed like it would last forever before he inhales. I'm 17. This is my dad. This is not normal. I've never watched a person die, let alone my own father. So I said to the doctor, is there anything you can do to help him? Can't you give him some oxygen? I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not grabbing it that this guy, that my dad is living, you know, breathing his last. That the oxygen is not really going to help him. But instead of the doctor just saying something kind or something, he says, listen, if you can't take it, get out of the room. Well, Forgive me, but at 17 years old, I'm walking with the Lord, but not, not like I do now to the, to the depth of it that I do now. So I did have thoughts about throwing him out the fourth story window that we were on. I mean, you got mad when I told you what he said. So I'm sta- I'm sitting there on a, in a chair beside my dad. I'm holding his hand. I'm praying. And I've just been told if I can't take it, get out of the room. But I know that this is the last time I'm sitting with my dad ever. And so I try to blow that off, but it keeps trying to get back in. I blow it off. It tries to get back in. And within a few minutes, my dad does expire. He passes away and goes to heaven because I know he did because I prayed with him. Well, if you've ever had a loved one pass, uh, it's very common, I guess, that, you know, this was Friday. Friday night, you go home and... You're, you're on the bed, laying there by yourself in the dark, and your mind goes to all these experiences, and you're thinking about your dad's gone, and what's life going to be like. And all of a sudden, I remembered what that doctor said. If you can't take it, get out of the room. And I began to boil. Now I have no distractions. Now there's nothing else going on to distract me, and I began to boil, just meditating and thinking about that doctor. What kind of a person does that? Who talks to somebody like that? That was Friday. Finally, I went to sleep Saturday. A few times that thought came to me, and and I beat him up in my mind on Saturday. Sunday was church. I went to church Sunday. And a couple times during church services, Sunday morning and Sunday night, I revisited that hospital thing because it's so fresh, you know. And, and, and originally just my dad's passing, but then every time that guy would come up, that doctor would come up. Instead of me just being able to deal with the death of my father, I'm dealing with this guy's comment, rude, disrespectful comment. Several times during church morning and evening. Monday came, same thing. Tuesday came, is at the funeral. At my father's funeral, all of a sudden I remembered If you can't take it, get out of the room. Well, I'm getting to the point where I'm not just upset about this. I'm furious about this. I mean, I would love to find this guy. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about in here. Well, about a week later, I'm still taking this guy and beating him up in my mind all the time. About a week later, I'm in my car and I'm at a traffic lights it's red i'm stopped there and i'm first car and as i'm just kind of sitting there waiting for the light to turn green 
I just happened to notice a couple signs, and one of the signs was a doctor's office, and it happened to be that doctor. I never knew where he was. I never knew where his actual office was. There's his office. And that stuff started to come up inside of me at 17 years old again. And the Lord interrupted me while the light is still red and said to me, if you don't deal with this and deal with this right now, it will set back your life by years and you'll never fulfill the ministry that I have for you. I'm going to tell you right now, before the light turned green, I forgave that man. And, you know, I'm sure he's dead and gone by now. That was long. I was 17 a few weeks ago. <laughs> but if he walked in the room right now, I'd be able to hug him, embrace him, lead him to Jesus, pray with him, help him anyway. I've got absolutely nothing on the inside of me where he is concerned. Nothing. Nothing. Because, see, the Bible said, do we walk in love and forgive? So what do I have to do to walk in blessings? I have to be soft and pliable to these commandments. I have to simply be willing to bend. And so when the pastor's preaching the Word of God to you, and you hear something that kind of, oh, oh, I don't like that one. I want a happy message. Happy, happy, happy. I just want to be happy. Well, I'll show you how to be happy. Stay soft and pliable to the Word of God, and your life will be happy. So for me to walk in these great blessings, for me to experience this protection and the angels and all the stuff that is provided, I can't approach the Word and pretend like I didn't hear that, I didn't read that, I didn't see that myself. I wasn't in the service when Pastor did the 42-part series on it. I have to stay soft and willing on the inside. I'm going to do what God's Word says no matter how my flesh recoils against it. I'm going to walk in love with people. I'm going to forgive people. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give. I'm going to be at church when my flesh wants to or when it doesn't. I've never asked my flesh if it wanted to go. See, that's a lot of your problem. You ask yourself if you want to go. I never asked. My, my body doesn't have a choice. You're going. You gave your life to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me what you're going to do. We're going to church today. I don't feel like lifting my hands. Too bad for you. Lift them up anyway. You'll get a breakthrough if you start obeying God in some of these areas. Come to the altar and pray. I don't want to go to the altar. That's dumb anyway. I don't feel like going to the altar. I'll tell you what you do is you go down to the altar and tell your flesh, shut your face. I'll show you what we're going to do. I'll stand here five minutes longer than anybody does just to discipline you. Shut up. You're not telling me what we're going to do tonight. Amen. That's what it means to delight greatly in His commandments is to be willing to bend to them, to be soft and pliable when it's ministered to you. The Word of God is designed to change your life, not to make life miserable for you. It's designed to help you. It's designed to pull you through and pull you out of the toughest places of life. How many have had the Bible, the Word of God, and the teaching of the Word pull you out of situations and circumstances and rescue you in a time of trouble or calamity? If we do what the Word of God says, it'll make all the difference. Now, let me read some verses here because these are such powerful verses. Look here at verse 2. So we're going to do verse 1, right? How many are going to do verse 1? Three of you. Okay. Verse 2. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. This is telling me 
that the way I live and order my life according to the Bible will impact generations to come in my family. It's going to impact generations to come. I don't know, I don't even know that I was taught this right off. But I seem to know it even as a teenage boy. That it, that how I lived and whether or not I obeyed God and whether I or not I did what the Bible says to do, it would not just impact my life, but it would impact my children that I didn't even have, grandchildren that I couldn't even, you know, when, you, when you're a young kid, teenager, you don't, you're not fathoming grandkids. I've got them on the truck. I, we, we'd need a school bus to get all my grandchildren bust in here. You realize that how I lived and made decisions. Remember the song we sang a little while ago, I Will Not Quit? I've known all along in my life, if I ever quit, if I ever gave in, if I ever gave up, if the journey was too hard, if the life of faith, I decided I didn't want to do that, I realized right away how it would impact my children, my grandchildren. When I was 15 years old, I was sitting in a, what they called a youth rally or a youth convention. And you would randomly get picked, you know, to preach. And I didn't want to preach. I mean, I was a kid and I just wanted to horse around with all the other teenagers and all that. And so they came up to me and said, Kenny, we would like you to preach. Um, at the, you know, right after lunch session, whatever it was. No, I don't want, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Are you sure you don't want to do it? No, sir, I don't want to do it. Are you sure you don't want, no, I don't want to do it. And I had conviction all over me, man. I felt like trash, you know, that I, I wasn't dealing with that. And uh, he walked away. And I sat there, and I hung my head, and I knew I had just missed God. I knew I had just missed God. And I got up, and I went over where he was and said, I just have to apologize to you. If you want me to preach this next session, I'll preach at this next session. I'll preach at any session you want me. I'm 15 years old. But I knew how it would order my life, a simple act of obedience or disobedience. Whether I was willing to bend, whether I was soft and pliable, or whether or not I had to have everything handed to me at the timing I needed it handed to me. Is anybody getting anything out of this? I knew it would have impact my kids. Every decision I made. Now, I'm not, I'm not a perfect man. I haven't done everything perfect. I don't know anybody perfect. But I knew if I would do my best, I mean my best couldn't be average. My best had to be best. And do the word to the best of my ability. Live this to the best of my ability. It was going to impact my children. And that somehow, no matter what age and what day we live in, my kids were going to live for God and they were going to do great things for God. I'm telling you, I've got a testimony in my own life and my own family that this stuff works. All of my kids serve Jesus Christ, and they all serve God wholeheartedly. One of them moved to Texas to Pioneer Church. That means you start from scratch by winning people to Jesus Christ at Pioneer Church. Took his whole family. Got six kids. Took them all out there. Pioneering a church to do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days. I have another son that's in a national ministry. If I named the name of the ministry, uh, you'd know who, exactly who that was. And my son 
my middle son is the youth minister of this international ministry. My youngest son still works with me in the ministry, takes care of a lot of stuff in our uh, local church and so on. He's big aid and help to me. But that didn't just happen. It happened because I chose to do verse 1. So that my kids, my seed, would be mighty on the earth. Do you know what it means when it says to be mighty on the earth? That verse there, verse 2? It means that they'll be mighty champions. Great warriors for God. Wouldn't you rather have your, your kids great warriors for God than strung out on dope? Lost out in the world, undone, messed up? Now listen, if that's where your kids are right now, don't you quit right now. And This, you, you, this is not a condemnation mess. I'm telling you, let's fix this. Let's call them back into the kingdom of God. Let's get serious about living for God and get them out of the world and out of the street and out of the devil's grip. So I'm not saying anything to slam anybody. I'm simply saying, if we get this straightened out, God will straighten some stuff out where our offspring was concerned because that's a promise. So I don't know about you, but if it were me, I would adjust tonight. I wouldn't even wait till next week. I would adjust and say, whatever you say in your word, I'm doing it. I began to learn to read my Bible hunting. I would hunt for verses that I was supposed to apply to my life. And I'd mark them and underline them, jot notes about them. And then I'd go after it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to live. I wasn't, tr- I wasn't just going to let life happen to me. Too many Christians just let life happen to them. That's not the will or plan of God for your life. God wants your seed to be mighty on the earth. Look at this very next verse. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Imagine this. God supplying all your needs, giving you the desires of your heart. doesn't mean everything in life is perfect and you got money to burn. It simply means that you are living at such a high level of blessing. I mean, debt gets off your back. God opens doors for you that it wasn't open for anybody else. You had to admit this is a supernatural thing. Nobody else knew, even knew you wanted this, but God opened the door. How did that happen? Because I did verse 1. I did verse 1. Look at verse 3. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Have you ever been in a situation where it was so dark and bleak and confusing and I don't know what to do, I don't know how to handle this situation? And the Lord said, if you'll do verse 1, a light will come on for you and you'll know exactly what to do and how to do it and how to deal with things in your life. See, I'm telling you, true Christianity isn't just dragging yourself to church getting to a church service and dragging yourself back to the car and living life any way you want. True Christianity is victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. victory. It impacts absolutely every area of your life. And then when the enemy tries to come against you, you you know you're doing the Word. You're dwelling in the secret place. And the angels of God have your back. There's things getting taken care of. There's stuff you won't ever know about till heaven where the enemy was trying to mess with you or your household or your family. But Jesus Christ kept His Word and rescued you. Come on, that's the high life of, of living, man. That's the high life of living. Knowing that He'll do that. As you continue to read this passage in, in Psalm 112, he talks about that we'll come to the place 
where we're doing the word, willing to bend, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, until our heart is established. All of a sudden, you're not moved by stuff. I'll be honest with you. I'm at the point in life right now, everything that comes along doesn't shake me, move me, torment me. It's like, I know God. I know the word of God. I know what the Bible says. I'm not going to be thrown off course and get derailed over some circumstance or somebody said something or somebody's teaching something. I'm sticking with the truth of the Word of God because it's working for me, and now my heart is established in it. Well, just look at it. Look at verse 8. It'll do you good. I'm trying to close. Did I help anybody here? Verse uh, verse 8. My my page turned here. Verse Let's read 7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. See, that goes back to this morning where I taught you, instead of leaning on the old, leaning on the past, leaning on those things that you were addicted to, now lean on the Lord. That's what it means. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. I'm going to tell you right now, the devil's going to back off where it comes to healing in your body. The devil's going to have to back off where it comes to healing for your children or grandchildren. The devil's going to have to back You're going to see his, his desire on the enemies. They're going to have to flee from you. They're going to have to leave you in Jesus' name. Financial areas. Uh, marriage areas, family areas, business areas. I'm telling you, if you'll do this and live this, you'll get that heart established to yours until all of a sudden what you, your enemy, the desire you have of him backing off and fleeing from you, it's gone. You have testimony after testimony. When I was with you last year, I talked about testimonies, having like the lion's head and the bear's head and having a trophy and just say, this is God at work in my life. That's what should be your constant lifestyle is, okay, this is going to be one more testimony where I stand up and show the Lord Jesus Christ has come through one more time. I did my part. God did his part. Here's the trophy. Here's the trophy. God's word will work for you. Get excited about it again. If you, if you, if you are excited, stay excited. If you're, if you've lost your zeal for it, get back at it. Get to God's house every time the doors are open. Volunteer for anything you can think of. I mean, just show yourself busy about God's business, God's house. Be around God's people. Your flesh will say, don't, don't, don't. You tell your flesh, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because this will turn your circumstances around. You'll all, I'm going to tell you right now, we're at the last of the last days. High Desert Word Center should be the biggest lighthouse in the entire region where the people of God are on fire. They're full of zeal. They are living the Bible. Man, they live it on Monday as much as they live it on Sunday. They live it on Friday as much as they live it on Sunday. That's you, see. It's working in your homes. It works on your jobs. It works when you're coming and it works when you're going. Amen. You're the head, not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. Do you receive that tonight? Don't skip the prerequisites. Psalm 91, Psalm 112. They all started with some instructions for us. And if we would do these things, man, all the blessings that will be overtaken in your life will be abundant. 
and massive in the name of Jesus. Can I pray a blessing on you before I return the service to Pastor? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.